RadioInfluence.com. thing that I never thought in a million years would happen. happen. The champion, the challenger, here we go! This is the MMA Report with Jason Floyd on Radio Influence. Welcome into the July 31st, 2022 edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. This is the interview edition of the show, and I have got a five-pack of fighter interviews coming here on this episode. As you're going to hear from two fires, we'll be coming up here on upcoming UFC cards. You're hear from two fires, be a part of Bellator 284. And also, you're going to hear from a fire, be a part of this week's PFL event. The first interview you're going to hear is with Jay Perrin, who is back inside the UFC cage, coming up at UFC 278 on August the 20th. Be a second fight in the UFC. He'll be taking on Aurora. Lang had a, a great conversation with Jay as uh, really kind of the best way to, I would say summarizing the interview. He's really talked about you know, basically the things he has done to get ready for this fight and gives a lot of credit to the UFC PI for what he's going to do. So you hear that conversation here in a moment. Then you're going to hear from Tyson Nam, who is going to return to the Octagon for the first time in 19 months. Going to appear next week at UFC San Diego as he takes on O'Day Osborne. As I had a chance to uh, catch up with Tyson, talk to him about some of the things that has happened with him in the buildup to this fight. Of course, he had a couple of canceled matchups, had an injury. Always great to talk to Tyson Nam. Then you're going to hear from Alima Leigh McFarlane as she is going to be taking on Bruna Ellen at Bellator 284 on August the 12th. I had a chance always, uh, I would tell you, I, I've interviewed Alima Leigh multiple times and she's one of these fighters. I always feel like I learned a little something new about her every interview. And what I learned about her in this interview is her nonprofit. I had not heard her talk about that in the past. Then you're going to hear from Anthony Adams as he is going to be taking on Austin Vanderfort there at Bellator 284. Big matchup there in the middleweight division. Of course, we're going to see kind of how this Bellator middleweight division plays out here, but had a great conversation with him. And then the final interview you're going to hear is with the Fires going to be a part of Friday's PFL event. And that is Elmar Umarov, who's going to be taking on Lucas Barbosa. Uh, Elmar was supposed to fight on Friday's FAC show. We got this opportunity so we got a chance to uh, get to know Elmar leading into this PFL matchup. So those, all those interviews come up here on this edition of the podcast. Of course, as always, appreciate you, you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, great way to show your support for the podcast. Leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. Also, be sure to check out uh, all the interviews and content I put over on the Ameriport YouTube channel as well. If you can uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, that really does help me out a lot as well. But let's get right into the interviews. Uh, first, you're going to hear my conversation with Jay Perrin. It takes on Rory Lang here at UFC 278 on August the 20th. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who steps back inside the UFC octagon here. Coming up UFC 278. So as we're talking just under a month from now, Jay, man, as always, man, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, you had a, an interesting Instagram post that, where you were talking about this fight where you said, uh, I cannot wait to display how much I've grown since this fight. It's just a few months ago, but I've made, I have made what seems like years of progress in such a short amount of time. 
Mm-hmm. Man, I do love what I do. I cannot wait to go to War Salt Lake City. I'm collecting three checks. Let's go. So uh, the improvements, man. Like what's uh, what's kind of been going on inside the training room? I uh, dude, I'm just there. Like, like I, I, I can't like describe how I can really like. I can't describe how I'm feeling in words other than that. Like my already ridiculous work rate is almost tripled since I since losing to Mario. You know, I've always been somebody that learns from his failures a lot more than you know obviously his victories and i just took what i could from the mario fight and improved upon it and um you know i got i I don't think that i got to display all parts of my game in that fight and um you know i think that since then i have i've literally left and i've said this in a bunch of interviews i've left no one no stone unturned here you know there is not a single thing more that i could be doing to prepare for this fight i am doing triple sessions almost every day i do so many sessions a day i forget how many i do a day um so like i guess i just fine-tuned everything to my i'm seeing things clear my mental clarity is a lot better i you know i see like i like to call it like um and like Madden, they have it like quarterback vision. You know what I mean? How they yeah. can see the field. I just see the field better. I, I understand what's going on in and how to move and how to create traps. And um, I think that just the mental clarity and like the chess for me has, has elevated since that fight. I know what kind of fighter I have to be in order to stay here. And um, having that knowledge is just going into camp has, has just fueled me. It's like, if I want to be here, then I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. And since then, because of all of the work that I'm doing consistently from strength and conditioning to jujitsu, to wrestling, to all of the striking work that I've done, um, you know, it's just caught up. All the work is just catching up. And as I'm peaking now, I'm blowing, I'm even still blowing all the numbers that I produce out of the water each time that I get in there. So, um, I just feel like I've been, I've, leveled up a lot since February and I'm um, really buckled down and, and, and I've, you know, like, I, like all fighters say, like I've sacrificed time away from being like a human being. Like I haven't been a human being for six months and, um, doing that has elevated me to a point where not only do I know I belong in the UFC, but now I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, I'm going to be a fucking part of the UFC that for a long time. So uh, that's kind of what I meant by that. So is there a part of this? Do your coaches have to go, Hey Jay, man, you need to go home and relax, man. You're in here way too much. Today, actually, they did that. Uh, so it's uh, funny. So yesterday was Tuesdays and Thursdays are our sparring days. And you can't see it because I got a, like a shadow over my face right now. But I'm I'm fucked up right now. Like <laughs> like the uh, the last uh, three weeks of sparring have just been fucking crazy because everybody at Syndicate right now is fighting at the same time. And so like the August 13th card, I think we have three or four people. And then we have other cards obviously spread out through like the regional scene that people are fighting on um, from like tough enough to like all these other shows. Um, So everybody's just gearing up for like the same week. And so it's just been hyper intense. And so like we, last night we did five, we do five fives every day, every, every uh, Tuesday and Thursday, five Mm -hmm. fives, everybody starts, everybody finishes. Before that I did five fives of pad work with, John Wood right before then. And then later on after we did that high intensity sparring, like you can see, I have like a really big black eye. My lip is cut. I've got a black eye on this side. The sparring was crazy, like absolutely nuts. And then me and Marab, who has been my main training partner for this entire camp, um, you were like, Hey, we're going to do a wrestling. We're going to do some wrestling rounds on the cage later. And so I'm like, cool. We did there. And I, I showed up thinking that we were going to do like drilling. And that's not what we did. <laughs> that's not what we did. We did like, like full, like me and Marab went through a shark tank of like 
real hard wrestling for 15 minutes straight. So I told my, my coaches that this morning and they're like, yeah, man, like eventually your body's going to go into survival mode and you're not going to be able to lose weight if you just keep fucking killing yourself. So like today we want you to just, you're going to be on a treadmill. We're going to make sure that you're keeping your metabolism going, but you need to go home and like relax. So like I've gotten to the point where like the PI people are telling me, dude, stay home. Like don't do any more. You're going to hurt yourself. So that's where I'm at. They are telling me now, you know, three weeks out, it's time to like take my foot off the gas a little bit as far as like the intensity goes. Like I've heard other fires talk about, you know, you know, working with the people at the PI and, and how they will, you know, talk to you about basically how to maximize your performance. You know, I remember one fire said, like, I always had a mentality. Got to work out three times a day. Got to work out three times a day. Like, that's what a high level athlete does. And the PI is like, hey, man, you're actually kind of hurting your body that way. Have, have the people the PI told you something about how to achieve maximum performance that in a way kind of like you never thought of it in that way? So I've never really had like numbers to to, to look at to see um like how my progress is going where it's where things are working and where things are not. Um, you know, I, I was one of the, I was the first UFC athlete to do the first beat heart monitors. Um, and, uh, you know, since I've gotten that tool, um, it really helps me to show how much rest I'm getting, how much I need, how much calories I'm burning per session, my recovery, all of those things. So like the science really does help. And I actually had this, um, this conversation, this very conversation this morning on the treadmill with, uh, Gavin Pratt, who is, um, one of the head trainers there at the PI and he's been uh, a invaluable tool to me. Um, and has just been amazing. And he said, you know what, man, I need you. And this is him. Like I've been doing three days a week with him for months mm -hmm. now. And even he goes, I need you to take one day. Cause we're, we're close now, man. It's not, we're far out. We don't have the, the performances there. Like if it was, it'd be one thing if I was performing poorly, on top of, you know what I mean? All of these sessions, he's like, you're performing better every time that you're in here. There's no reason you're in shape. The performance is not the thing. At this point, fighters have such a mentality of if I'm not working, I'm losing. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So yeah. like, if I'm not working at something, then I'm being lazy or I'm being a detriment to my camp. If I'm not constantly in the gym, um, and he's just like, that's just not true. Especially like closer to the fight, you should be getting that intense six, seven weeks out, but three weeks, two and a half weeks, it's about getting to weight, making sure things are fine tuned. That's game planning time. That's not, that's not being super intense. And at a certain point, your body is just going to try and survive. You know, it's just going to hold on to everything that it can. You're going to get injured because you're not giving recovery is, is like a tool during this camp that I've had a hard time with like a really hard time because I'm a workhorse. Like most fighters are, um, but it's been so valuable because again, like every session, every day that I go to the gym is at least a double session is it, oh. at the very least. I don't usually go to the gym once a day. Like after this interview, I'm going to the PI like right after this, I'm going there to, to go run and go do the use the recovery baths and do all those things. Um, and it's just like, there's certain days where if you wake up and you can't move, but you show up anyway, you're not helping yourself. You're just not, you're actually going to make it worse and you're more prone to injury that way. And I want a long career, so I don't do that. And so I try and just listen to the people at the PI because they know what they're talking about. You know, at the end of the day, my coaches know what they're saying. My, you know, assists from the dietitians to the, to the, uh, to Gavin, to all of them, they, they went to school for this. I'm just a dude who throws his knuckles. You know what I mean? So like <laughs> when they tell me, Hey, it's time to relax. And then they tell, they show me the numbers. It's a good measuring stick for me to be yeah. like, okay. I've done this. 
it's time for me to settle. And a lot of the time, um, I think like a couple of weeks ago, I was unhappy with where my weight was and they were like, take a day off. I took a day off. I lost like four pounds in that day because my body just had enough time to actually just recover itself. So yeah, it's been like a super invaluable tool, especially the science of it. And if anybody that's just getting recently signed, um, had wants any advice, it's like, you know, from a guy that's recently signed, take this advice, man. Don't like you have, you work your whole life to get to this place where people can help you and tell you the right things. You know what I mean? Don't get there and then not use it. Don't get there and not use that advice. That's fucking stupid. It's stupid to do. You know, I'd rather put my faith in people that know what they're doing than my fucking idiot self. Cause again, how many bad weight cuts have we been through? How many, how many bad, you know, like camps have we gone through? We've gone through injuries and you know, we've broken our hands and we've done this or that. And we were, we should have probably taken a day off and didn't and made it worse and didn't have those people in our ears. We work our whole lives to have people in our ears that make this easier. And I have it now. So uh, I listen, you know, I'm just going to listen. And, and you got uh, a Rory Lang here, come up here at uh, UFC 278. Uh, what's your expectations for uh, what you expect to see across the cage from you? So there's two versions of him. You know, there's two It depends on which version of him comes out. Either way, I'm prepared for. Um, his last fight, you know, usually he's pretty aggressive coming forward, and that's the version of him I expect. You know, he's coming off of a knockout. Um, he probably sees that I've lost and, and is going to probably take the center. I got backed up a little bit more than I'd like to in my last fight, so I'd imagine that he's going to try and put me on my back foot. Um, and then there's the counterfighter. The way he fought last time, Cam Els pushed him back, you know, and uh, he's not great off of his back foot. So... It depends. He might be the counterfighter, but he does. He has tendencies a lot. So he's going to go for my body. He likes to go up and down a lot to set up his headshots, big looping shots. Um, as far as like skill for skill goes, I just really don't like, and I'm pretty objective about it. I can tell you if someone's a better wrestler than me or if someone's a better striker than me. I just don't see any part of this that he's cleaner than me at. Um, his intensity is going to be the thing I have to get past. He's a very intense guy. He has great straight. Like yes, he, he has good striking. He has everything that's good, but I'm just better. Like every, like every part of this is better, especially, you know, wrestling or if it touches the ground, I quite wholly believe I'm going to take his neck home. So, um, I expect him to be forward to stand in the middle and trade with me, mm-hmm. but my movement's too good. I'm a little bit more tactful than he is. He doesn't move his head very much. Um, so that's really all I'm really not worried about, but anticipating that in the first minute or two, he's going to come out gun swinging and he's going to go for the body, which I appreciate as a boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he goes for the body quite a bit and I have kind of the same style. You know, if you watch my striking, I go body head, body head, and then it sets up my takes downs and things like that. So I'm sure he studied that. So, um, you know, that's pretty much it. You know, I, I see a lot of basic boxing stuff with little head movement and flat footedness, you know, and I've, I've held that before. He doesn't have any skills in there that I haven't seen before. And that's not like to discard credit. The guy he's in, yeah. he's in the UFC. You know what I mean? Everybody in the UFC is a tough fighter. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a 800 people on the roster, about 6 billion people in the world. He's obviously good at something. Um, it's just nothing I haven't seen before. Much like I'm sure he's, I have nothing that he hasn't seen before. You know, he's got 28 fights. I've got 15 after a certain amount. It's just like, all right, who can implement their game better? And I just think that I can do that a little better than him. It's going to be a different environment as opposed to your environment back in February where you essentially have no fans in tennis back in February, 25 foot cage, now 30 foot cage and fans in the, in, in, in attendance, like for you, like being, do you think, do you, would you, do you think you'll have a preference of being in the bigger cage as opposed to smaller cage or, or do you think it really doesn't matter? 
Oh, well, small. So like uh, my grandfather at an early age taught me about ring size and how it does matter in a fight. Um, uh, like uh, short rings are meant for power strikers and uh, big rings are meant for people with footwork. And if you've actually watched, so in MMA, it's different because obviously small cages are better for grapplers and people that want to clinch a little mm-hmm. bit more, kind of like how Mario handled me when I got into my boxing range. I started to open up and every time I did that, he very intelligently stopped me from getting to my range and unloading and put me against the cage, which is useful in a big, in a smaller cage. Um, in a bigger cage, I'm, I'm going to be able to move my feet a little bit more. Um, I think it's bigger. I honestly like the crowd is going to be there. Obviously people say that, but if you've ever watched me fight, I, I'm a game day fighter, uh, no matter where it is to me, a fight is a fight is a fight, no matter where the fuck it is, no matter who it is. Um, so I think that the, the bigger cage will be nice because I can actually say, hey, I've fought in a full-sized UFC cage. I was in the stadium and I did the, you know, I did the big thing. Um, I think it'll help me with my footwork and being a little bit more elusive than because you only take a few steps backwards and in the apex, you're against the cage. <laughs> yeah. So having that extra five feet doesn't seem like a lot, but five feet is a lot when you're playing a game of inches, if that makes sense. So um, I'm going to love it. You know, I'm going to enjoy every, every moment of it, dude. You know what I mean? Like I got to the UFC, I got to the apex, but this is the fight. You know what I mean? This is the one, the state you get to walk out. There's, and maybe it's not a full pack stadium and maybe it will be, I don't know. Usman Edwards is a big car. There's a lot of good fights on there. So maybe people get there early. Um, but to walk out from the tunnel, from the, with the lights in the distance. And I've, I've thought about this since I was 14 years old, maybe even younger, you know, I've, for as long as I can remember, this is the fight that, I, I have the I have the kit on. I have all the people. I have the music, and I have fed off of that for ten plus years now. So like, big cage, small cage, fucking rectangular cage. I don't care. I don't care. It could be a triangle for all I care. Um, I'm gonna feed off of that so well. And you know, if you've ever watched any of my fights at Memorial Hall, they have about two thousand, three thousand people that they can fit into that place. So big crowds energize me i love that shit either i'm being booed or i'm being cheered the energy feeds me you know what i mean i'll either make you quiet or i'll make you loud but one of the either way fuck you i'm gonna win you know what i mean that's how it wins so um you know that's that's basically how i feel about that i've I've been obsessing about that moment where i can walk out forever so um the big cage i think will be good for my my striking and i'll maybe be able to open up more to answer that question but to, to to be in that big cage finally after what seems like 15 years now, you know what I mean? It's it's just going to be amazing. And and, and for people who have never seen the actual like diagram of how, I mean, there is a sizable difference. It's only five feet larger, but like when you look like the diagram, like I think it's like 30% bigger. I want to say, I mean, that's like, that's a big, that's a big jump. It's not like it's a whole person. You know what I mean? It's like a whole (laughs) person worth of, of length there. Um, and that can make the difference. But the thing is, is that people don't average people that aren't like super obsessed about it. Like people like myself or you don't really get those statistics. They say five feet, whatever, dude, five feet. I take, I take three steps. It's five feet. You know what I mean? It's not a, not a big deal, but three steps. And like I said, in a game of inches, like we play is so pivotal. You know what I mean? And how to access and use that space is also a skill in and of itself. You know what I mean? So just knowing that alone, um, put you ahead of the game. Yeah, it's like I've always talked about that black line. And that mm-hmm. black line in the, the UFC Apex cage, that 25-footer, I mean, you're literally a step and a half 
and all of a sudden your back is against the cage. Yeah, now you got to take a couple of steps in the bigger cage to happen. I mean, that that's like, it's, it's a part of this game that like, and I mean, obviously someone like yourself or a coach, they're thinking yeah. about that of like, okay, if we find ourselves in this position in that bigger cage, we do have, we have more angles to get out of, of that, that potential position. And people that are like Thai guys, and I come from a Thai school, so I appreciate the plum as much as anybody, um, you know, have a little bit harder time tracking you down. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the grapplers that are really heavy body lock people really have a hard time keeping you there or getting you there um, because it's not meant for them to close distance so much, you know? So it, it gives strikers the, the right amount of time and space they need to be able to adjust to those things, which means the grappler now has to alter his game to theirs. So it's a five feet creates all of those things. You know what I mean? Creates all of those opportunities for both sides. So, um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's really an exciting prospect to be able to fight in a bigger cage because now I can move my feet, display my boxing work a little bit better. Cause I, if you actually watch the Mario fight, I, I, got pushed against the cage and look back and went, shit, I'm already there. You know, that sucks. <laughs> so, um, it'll be good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be able to move my feet a little bit more. Maybe you guys will get like an Ali shuffle out of me if I'm beating him up too much. Final thing, Jay, of course, always appreciate you coming on the show. You, you mentioned about this is a moment you've been thinking about for 15 years in this game. What's the mm-hmm. walkout song? Seen it all by young Jeezy. I've seen it all. I've been I've been everywhere. I've done everything. I've I've walked among giants, uh, shoulder to shoulder. You know, and and for the last year, almost year and a half now, I've really really earned the respect of, and in, in my opinion, and 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 I could be wrong. I could be for everybody, but I feel like I have earned the respect of the upper echelon of the people in this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, when you walk through the doors of syndicate, if you're 135, 145, you are going to see me. You know what I mean? Like eventually we're going to butt heads and it's not because you need a body. It's because I'm going to push you back. Um, I, I truly, truly believe that since, since joining this team and, and being around the people that I'm around and, um, being pushed and coached by the best people in the world that I have now like firmly cemented myself as somebody that you're going to have to watch out for. I'm not, I'm not playing here and I got, and I'm better on the day of the fight than I am in training. That's just a, that's how it is. Sometimes people are better in the gym. Some people are better um, on, on the day of the fight. I'm better on the day of the fight. And even on my worst days in the gym, days that I consider bad, I'm doing better than even some of the best people in the world. So, um, 15 years, baby. Fuck this guy. You know what I mean? With all due respect. You know what I mean? I, I, he's, I, I respect every opponent that steps in there with me because I'm just looking at a reflection. Most of us are just looking at reflections of ourselves in, um, in the person that stands across from us. But I have, I have bled. I have sacrificed. I've slept under bridges and outside. I've gone hungry for days at a time and run on fumes on, on purely self-belief and willpower that I will make it someday. And someday is in 21 days. It's not even a whole month away. So everything that I've ever wanted, I have worked for, for this camp, everything that I've ever dreamed of, I've is, is right across is behind the door that this man stands in front of. And, um, I can't let him do that. I just can't. And I've, I, like I said before, in the beginning of this, I've given every piece of myself. I've even sold my soul a little bit so that I can be prepared for this man. So in 20 days, I'm going to weigh in. I'm going to look this man in the eyes and say that there is nothing inside mine other than his eminent demise. And again, I respect you with all my heart, brother. I really do. Richie Lang, if you end up seeing this, 
it's no hard feelings, dude, but we got a job to do and you know exactly how I feel. So when we get in there, I hope we can give him a show. I really do hope that we both walk away with 50 K, but I am going to walk away with that W. I don't give a fuck what I have to do, who I have to kill to do it. I'm going to do it. So in in 20 days, man, I, I get to finally, finally, after all of this shit that I have been through, knock somebody's head in and say that I did it. I'm not just Mm -hmm. some dude who got here and and got kicked out. Fuck all of that. I'm here to stay here and remain here until my body can't anymore. So, you know, the JPEG, it's not, it's not a show. It's a fucking saga. I'm going to start a saga. So starting on, on August 20th. Of course, I look forward to seeing the fight here on August 20th. J-Man, as always, man, I appreciate time. Uh, Of course, let me know that you can find on social media and anything else you want to mention, man. Yes, sir. Find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Joker underscore gang 35. I, I would say post on, on Facebook, but um, I get banned all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> currently on a 48 day ban. 48 days? Yeah, I told my teammate I'd punch him. They're very sensitive on Facebook. Wow. <laughs> Facebook's just had enough of my chin, honestly, so I get it. Uh, so I, I won't even be able to post on Facebook about the fight until, like, the week of the fight. So, so just find me on Instagram and Twitter. And I appreciate all the all, all the fans that have, um, you know, strangers from different countries that have, you know, an outpour of support for me. I'm just a kid from a small town in Massachusetts. I never thought that I'd get here, and now I am. And, um, you know, to, to have the support even after I lost um, – has been amazing. So I, I have a lot of people that believe in me that I'm not going to let down and I refuse to um, have their faith misplaced in me. So I appreciate everybody and I hope that you can follow me and enjoy the journey that we're on together. And that was my conversation with Jay Perron. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his matchup coming up here August 20th, UFC 278. And uh, yeah, really the big takeaway from that conversation with Jay has to be, uh, I think the line where he talks about if you're a UFC fighter, you have to take advantage of of the UFC PI because it's just something that you do not want to regret. And, you know, you hear him talk about that, everything that he has done since February to prepare for this matchup. So we'll see what happens in him here at UFC 278. Always enjoy talking to Jay. Of course, Jay, uh, you know, grew up there in the Northeast, now living in Las Vegas, training a syndicate and also, and uh, I think probably the other big takeaway from that has got to be the fact that Marab Davishvili has been his main training partner for this one. And of course, we all know uh, how talented Marab is is coming up next you're going to hear my conversation with tyson nam he is back inside the octagon here in two weeks at ufc san diego is he going to take on oday osborne of course this is the first time that tyson fights in almost two years he's been away from the octagon from 19 months so i had a chance to uh, catch up with tyson and talk to him about his matchup come here on august 13th against oday osborne Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's back inside the octagon here, UFC San Diego, August the 13th, Tyson Nam Tyson. As always, man, I appreciate time. You know, anytime I, I, I see things you post on Facebook, you post on Instagram, you know, you're, you're definitely showing people the various things you can do with Manscaped products. As someone who has been sponsored by Manscaped, uh, you got you got any tips for uh, for the MMA audience there for, for Manscaped on how to effectively use the tools there? Still, just go slow. Take your time. <laughs> Don't rush it. Bad things could happen. Go slow. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it seems like you, you might pull out that, that trimmer to uh, trim off some of your teammates' uh, hair on their head. 
Um, yeah, uh, recently we did. Um, somebody wanted to make a bet, so let's bet. <laughs> you got a you got a new style haircut. Shit, I might have a new profession coming up after. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, obviously the story heading in this one has got to be the fact of we haven't seen you in, in well over a year. Like, I mean, how do you describe the last year and a half? 19 months coming up to the date. I, uh, counted every single one of them. It was, a uh, a long road. Um, it was a hard road and, um, every other emotion that you can think of, it was on top of that road. So, uh, me uh, being here, seeing the finish line, I mean, the finish line is only to start again. But just to make it to where I'm at now is, uh, you know, nothing short of a miracle. So I'm I'm just overjoyed. You know, you were supposed to have those matchups against Ulan Bektov, the, the one most recently in June. Uh, after the June cancellation, were you just kind of like, eh, I think we can move on? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what happens after trying it out for uh, two times uh, in a row and same exact thing happens, just like a cursed, a cursed matchup. So we might as well not even try that again. <laughs> like like when you have that, we, you know, and obviously it was just a couple months ago, it was kind of that mindset at that point to your management. It's like, man, just can we just find something? <laughs> it, 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 it literally, Jason could have basically said any name to you. Be like, okay, good, go ahead. Yeah, you know, at the, at the same time, it was um, it was uh, kind of like, hey, I had to put it in my mind frame. Hey, maybe this is a, a good thing. I'll 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 train. I'll train more. I'll train harder. I'll work on things because I already knew that all of the fight cards were already booked out till like September, October. So it's like, okay, I need to stay somewhat ready because something might happen, which usually does pretty much almost every week. So you know, stayed ready, stayed the path, and uh, we 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 lucked out. We're going to be fighting in two weeks. I mean, I guess. I mean, like I know it, it's easy where people can just look at the negative side of of this. Uh, of you know, as you mentioned, you, you've been counting nineteen months has been, but you know, for yourself, do you try to look at the positive aspect of it and say like, hey, man, this is this is how I've leveled up as a martial artist. That was the only thing that I could actually think about from, uh, from this injury was looking at the positive things, uh, or just looking toward positive things because I mean, any athlete knows that went through the same thing is, um, the first, uh, two to three months depression. So, I mean, how do you fight depression? You can't be thinking about negative or depressing things. You got to try and think about positive things. So, you know, just, uh, putting my mindset and uh in a positive mode that's the only thing that you could really do so everything that i look at life now i, I always got to look on top of the positive uh, side of things like I, when i think of of your career and kind of you know the the not so positive signs of a career i mean obviously this layoff the other one i think of is when you went through the contract issue with bellator like how do they compare and contrast in terms of the frustration level that you had Man, it was, um, I mean, I could probably count about four to five, um, low times inside of my career, which, uh, a lot of fighters after one or two of them, they're, they're done with it. Um, but I knew that this is what I wanted to do. This was my life. This is, uh, just everything that I knew what I wanted to do. Just, you know, not alone, just being an athlete, but just being 
part of exercise and health and nutrition and all of that, all of that was, uh, but, uh, but now this, I, I think this is, uh, my, uh, my greatest, um, you know, coming back from such a, a long layoff just because, you know, it's the UFC. I've, I've never had an injury like this before. So I, I don't even know what to expect. And being able to fight in front of fans, obviously, uh, yeah. you know, we went through this long period where pretty much outside of the pay-per-views, all the fights were, you know, in the apex where, I mean, I mean, maybe there's 30, 40 people in the building. Um, like, have you thought about that of just kind of, you know, fighting and having that, that energy? It only dawned on me about two days ago. I was like, oh, wait, there's going to be fans <laughs> up at that Pachanga Arena, and there's probably going to be a sold-out crowd. That's going to be um, something that I haven't uh, experienced in uh, quite a while. So, But I've been doing this since 2006, so it's nothing new. Um, but, uh, you know, when I'm walking out, it – everything starts to dim down and quiet down anyway. So, uh, Hey, I, I I'm ready to put on a show, uh, in, in front of uh, life fans again. I mean, like, do you, do you view that as like, that's just you entering the zone uh, of competition? Definitely. I mean, fight day is a whole different, uh, mentality. Fight week is a whole different mentality, but fight day is just special because you got all these nerves. You got this, this, uh, pent up energy that you can't do nothing with until nighttime. So, I mean, I mean, it's just a, a mix of uh, emotions and, and nerves all the way up until you step into the cage. And then somehow all of those nerves actually start to go away. So you're just trying to, trying to get to that cage to handle business and all of this uh, unwanted feeling starts to go away. Obviously, there's expectations that come with the matchup, and, and O'Day Osborne, the opponent here, um, and, and O'Day is a guy that's kind of trained at a couple different places, now training there in Las Vegas. Is, is your perception of this fight an expectation of this fight that it's most likely going to play out on the feet? Yes, yes. I mean, he likes to strike. I like to strike. It's not a. Uh, it's uh, it's not rocket science what we're about to do. We're about to throw punches and kicks at each other, and we like doing that to our opponents. So, hey, let's uh, let, let's meet up in the middle. I'll see you there. Is there anything unique about his striking style? Um, definitely his uh, his reach for the weight class. But I train with bigger guys, anyways, with that reach. So it's not gonna be like something completely new is just uh you know pretty extraordinary for our weight class to have that uh that type of reach did you stay but, did you stay in hawaii the whole time to prepare for uh these matchups i've i've made a couple of trips to uh to portland to uh um visit uh att ricky simone and you know uh just try to almost get back into the mind frame like you know um I'm probably going to be fighting soon. I should probably train with different people to get some, uh, get some excitement back up in, in, in the training. You know, you stay in Hawaii too long and it's paradise, but man, it gets boring. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta venture out a little bit. Do you get more nervous watching Ricky fight than your own fights? Yes. Yes. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling that every fighter knows that you're not so nervous when you're fighting, but when you have someone that you know is fighting, man, all, all the nerves just starts coming out. You just start pacing back and forth. You start like sweating and like, Oh, ugh. 
I mean, it, it was just a couple weeks ago that, that Ricky fought there, had, had a great win against Jack Shore. Like, are you watching at home? And, like, are you literally pacing in the living room? Yeah, I'm shadow boxing. I don't know, throwing kicks, doing something. I mean, there's just so much, uh, there's just so much nerve that when you see someone that you know fighting, it just brings something else, uh, some, some other emotion up out of you than, you know, like if, if you was to do it yourself with yourself, you're just trying to stay calm and focused and whatnot. But when it's somebody else, you're just like, punch him in the face. <laughs> Thinking about how this fight could play out. Maybe to think about, I think one of the bigger topics in our sport is judging. Like if you had a chance to, you know, sit and have a conversation, you know, sit, sit at a dinner table, have a conversation with a judge, would there be something you would ask that judge about how they view fights? Man, I've been, I've, I've traveled overseas to fight people in their home countries. So, I mean, bad judging is something that it's always, it's always been a part of me. If I don't finish a fight, I almost always expect to lose a decision. Right. But, um, but yeah, especially like now, I mean, there's just been bad judging calls just left and right every week. So uh, it, it would be nice to um, maybe have uh, a little bit more training with judging so they know exactly how to score things. I mean, with the way that judging has been going on, I don't even know how to score fights anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what they're looking at. So the only thing to do is you got to finish a fight. I mean, that's the only 100% guarantee that you'll win a fight, I mean, at least in my eyes. Would you ever want to go into being a judge? Or are you just like, no, nah, man, I don't want to go down that route? I wouldn't mind actually. Okay. I don't mind uh, criticism. I feel like I um, I've done it uh, long enough to know exactly um, how to uh, how the draw the judging criteria should be. Um, so I mean, I wouldn't mind actually being a judge. I, I feel like I'm I'm a lot more uh, creditable than majority of these judges now. Would you rather be a judge or a referee? Ooh. Judge, judge. That's too close to the action being the ref. That's too close. <laughs> you know, I might stop a fight. I might get punched too. I was, oh, yeah. There was that. And there was a, I remember seeing on Instagram a couple months ago, there was like literally a referee went in the stop and he got clocked, just clean knocked out. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy too close to the fight. Even even when I see a fight out on the street, hey, I'm, I'm still watching from a good distance. I'm not trying to get clipped on uh, unwantedly or unknowingly every time i see a video like on instagram of a street fight like one of the things that goes to my mind is like so was the first thing just pull out the phone yes yes <laughs> i mean especially like this day day and age it's it's great content for your social media i mean uh we won't say a hundred percent of the time, but majority of the time, okay, it'll escalate. Someone will come out with a black eye, bloody nose. Um, but at the same time, man, it's great content. I mean, everyone, for some reason, as human beings, we love watching violence and fights. Very true. And uh, I, I, I love it. That's why I do it. And if I'm not in it, I want to get entertained and I want to shoot a video of it. That's awesome. Of course, we get to see you uh, entertain everyone there at UFC San Diego, August the 13th. I said, as always, man, I appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know they can find you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Namino 11, IG, 
Angus Tyson Nam on Twitter. You'll see me. And that was my conversation with Tyson Nam. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his matchup coming here against Oday Osborne, UFC San Diego, August the 13th. Tyson is a guy that I have been talking to for years now. And, you know, when, when I think about for just for me personally uh, of kind of, you know, my history of reporting on the sport and, and some of the bigger stories that I had was really when Tyson was having that contract issue with Bellator. He was, uh, you know, I had a chance to talk to him a couple of times about what he was going through uh, in in that situation and of course uh, 19 months away here and that matchup against Oda I mean you would imagine that's a fight that's likely going to play on feet should be a very fun fight and I know as of the bout order right now that's actually the very first fight of UFC San Diego there on the preliminary car but let's turn our attention over to Bellator MMA of course Bellator is back here on August the 12th Bellator 284 and the first interview you're going to hear is with Alima Lay McFarlane as she is going to be taking on Bruna Ellen here at a great conversation with Alima Lay talked about a, a, a range of topics including her nonprofit organization Joining me now here on the MMA report is a fighters back inside the Bellator cage coming up here in two weeks from now. Bellator 284, Alima Lay It's always a uh, appreciate the time. You know, I was going through your Instagram and I'm very familiar with what the Alta program is. And, and you were talking about how how this is coming to uh, your gym there in, in, in San Diego. And, and the part of your, your caption that stuck out to me the most was where you said, I was in 2013, an unhealthy college student who had no real ambitions besides being an NFL player, NFL wife, LOL, who decided that I wanted to change. Little did I know, stepping foot into the gym would be the best thing that ever happened to me. We were excited to have you, which kind of made me think about like when people come in and are going to come and take part of this program and you're leading this program, like, do you kind of take them back to who you were in 2013? Oh, yeah, I definitely share my story with them because I really was just like them. I didn't I I was bigger. I was unhealthy. I was a college student that just partied all the time. I was probably like 175 at my heaviest. And so so for like a little um, perspective, I walk now at 140 and I fight at 125. So yeah, 175 is like extremely mm-hmm. big for me, for my frame. So anyway, um, yeah, zero ambition to do anything. And I just randomly walked into this gym on my way to work. I was waitressing tables and I walked in there and was just like, I want to lose weight. This looks like fun. And fast forward, you know, two years, I was fighting in Bellator. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that everybody needs to become a professional fighter, but it definitely was life-changing and it can be life-changing for anybody that, that puts their mind to it. It also made me kind of think about like, are you thinking about whenever you decide that this martial arts journey is going to move to that next chapter is coaching part of that journey? Oh yeah. Like it already has been part of my journey. You know, I do coach our team here. I help Manolo and Bill and Boogie and, you know, I really enjoy the mentoring aspect of it, especially, um, you know, seeing these younger fighters coming up, Juliana Miller, she's my number one training partner and she's actually, um, a finalist in the ultimate fighter, which is coming up next week. And so she has definitely, 
you know, I'd, I would be out there cornering her if I didn't have my fight coming up. Um, but yeah, so coaching for sure is something that I love to do. It comes naturally for me as well. And that's definitely um, something I'm going to focus on. Yeah. Like you said, once, once I stop fighting or, or my journey comes to an end. I know you talked about this on the Bellator broadcast last week where you'd mentioned about the fact of, you know, after that last fight, you wanted to get right back in there. Like, do you, was there any major takeaways from your fight against Justin Keish that, that has kind of been like a point of emphasis in preparations for this? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the biggest takeaway from that fight was that I'm a badass because I fought through freaking three rounds without an arm. And so, you know, my biggest fear going into fights was always like, it's not getting knocked out. It's not getting submitted. It's not even like losing none of that shit. My biggest fear was quitting and it always has been. And just like, like being made to give up and, um, and, and like being broken and, even though I was like a one-armed fighter during that fight, like early on in the first minute of the fight, I freaking like landed on my neck and my whole arm went numb. But even though I was like, oh shit, oh shit, I'm totally screwed right now. I just didn't quit. So I think that knowing that I'm mentally strong enough, I mean, my doctor thinks I was stupid for continuing to fight, but I call it mental toughness. <laughs> so I think like just knowing that I can, I still have the heart to keep fighting um, was the biggest takeaway for me that I just, I didn't stop. So that, and, and also I should freaking learn how to kick because uh, that would have been a perfect opportunity <laughs> to start throwing kicks, but I, I don't kick. Was that the first time in a fight where you've had to deal with that kind of adversity in terms of some type of injury that has now limited the, your weapons on the offensive side of the game? Yes. To that extent, yes. Because honestly, I've never, I've never um, not had knee issues going into a fight. Like every camp, it, my knee always pops. It always gives out. I always have to like take a week off and I'm on crutches and I do all the things like cortisol shots right before the fight. So I've never, again, I've never gone into a fight, not injured, but this was the first time where I was like, Oh no. Oh no. Like something's really wrong right now. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was a first. I, I know you've also talked about one of the, the, parts of this fight and going up here is with your Indian heritage. Um, you know, mm -hmm. kind of talk to me a little about, uh, you know, what, what that means you'd be able to fight on this fight card. So, okay. I have like one drop of, of, uh, Indian, Indian blood, but I am native. I'm native Hawaiian, but I always, you know, we're relatives at the end of the day. Our traditions are similar. Our histories are very extremely parallel. Um, we face the same modern day issues as well. So um, I work really closely with native communities up here in the continental United States. And so when I found out that the fights would be in Sioux Falls, I was like, hell yeah, that's Indian country right there. I actually had... Um, I have about seven or eight girls from South Dakota that have 
gone through my retreat that I put on with my um, nonprofit work. And, you know, they were all on scholarship, the Illuminator scholarship. So, yeah, I was just like, you guys, guess where my next fight is. So everybody's going to be coming out to that fight. Um, And so, yeah, this is going to be super, super special for me because I have so much love and respect for, you know, my Lakota and Dakota relatives out there. Um, And yeah, I can't, I can't wait to be on their land and fight for them. What's your nonprofit? So my nonprofit is called Nawahine Toa Foundation. And it is, uh, we work with native communities, native women and children to teach them Mm self-defense to help end the missing and murdered indigenous woman epidemic. Where where can, uh, if people say they want to donate to that cause, is there a place they can go? Yes. Yes. So you can actually go to my website, eliminator.com. And one of the, one of the tabs that you'll see is, is for my nonprofit and all the links and information are all over there. And I'll also be, um, dropping some fight shirts actually probably sometime today my fight shirts will be dropping and the fight shirts are dedicated to MMIW and it was actually designed by one of my girls uh, that were on scholarship through through the program and so she um, I'm going to have all the profits and the proceeds go to her to help start her um, her art art business up. That's awesome. We've been talking all this time. We haven't even talked about Bruna Allen, uh, the actual the actual opponent here. Uh, what's your expectations uh, for what she's going to bring? You know, I think that this is a really good fight for her. Um, you know, I still have a name despite being on a losing streak. I she, I still have a name, and and this is a really good fight for her to take. And um, I think she's gonna be smart about it. But I think this is a really good fight for Bruna to take and she's going to be very smart about it and she's going to outpoint, she's going to try to outpoint me Mm -hmm. because she knows I'm a finisher. She knows, um, I mean, she has the gas tank to go all through rounds. Pretty much all of her fights go through rounds. I don't think she's ever finished anybody and I don't think she's ever been finished. So it's clear that her conditioning is really good. So I think, um, you know, she's probably going to try to do the same thing against me is just to outpoint me stay on the outside and run away in, in terms of obviously i think we all naturally we all look about what's the future and, and when we think about you and obviously everyone knows about the you know how close you and liz are where where are you are you even thinking about what's the future hold or is it or are you just kind of like that eh, we'll, we'll see what you know how each fight plays out well Ideally, so this is like my dream scenario for the future is that I win this fight and come out of it injury free. And then I get like a last minute um, fight on the Ireland card in September against like Denise Keyholt or something. And then I win that one. And then I, I get a fight on the Risen card um, at the end of the year against Kanawatanabe and I win that one. And then... Uh, that gives me a title shot to Liz who retains the title. And that title shot is going to be in my hometown of Hawaii. Um, I don't know if I want it to be in the summer or December again, or actually no, I want it way sooner than that. I just want it like ASAP against Liz. And then that's my retirement fight. So that is, uh, (laughs) 
I think I have like four fights left on my contract or something like that. Um, and so I've always said that like, I want my last fight to be against Liz because okay. that just like makes everything come full circle. No matter who wins or loses that fight, it's like, you know, it, it make if, if she wins and it's like, yes, you know, that was my mentor coming into this game. She basically raised me through the fight game. Like, yes, I lost to her, but if I win, then it's like her passing the torch. Like, yes, this is my you know little grasshopper. Um, so yeah, that's ideally, I just want to freaking fight as much as I can and then fight for the belt against Liz. But realistically, it's more so what you said that like, ah, it just kind of depends what happens. Cause our division's crazy and everybody has beaten somebody and has lost to the other person. So it's kind of like, we don't even know what's going to happen. Like, like let's say your ideal scenario happens. You meet Liz, you win the fight. Would you retire at that point? Or would the competitive nature of you say, no, I can't retire. I got to keep going. I would retire. <laughs> unless, unless Bellator wants to like, give me a freaking like, huge contract like i would probably retire <laughs> money talks money talks i think we, i think we can all relate to that Lima, as always uh appreciate you coming on the show of course uh let her know they can, uh get more information about your nonprofit. follow you on social media and things along those lines yeah you guys can follow me at eliminator uh so i-l-i-m-a-n-a-t-o-r and that one um let's see Sorry, my website is the same thing, eliminator.com. You guys can find all the info about me um, and what I do. And yeah, hopefully you guys are all subscribed to Showtime Sports because that's what's going to be streaming my fight. I'm on the main card. Um, so get your Showtime Sports subscription. And that was my conversation with Alima Lay McFarlane. I appreciate her taking some time out of her day to talk to me about her matchup coming up here at Bellator 284 against Bruna Ellen. Uh, kind of some interesting things there, obviously talking about, uh, you know, uh, what she took away from her last matchup, also her nonprofit organization. But there, very much at the end of that conversation, talk about what the ideal scenario is there. And uh, we'll see kind of how that does play out for her. And, uh, you know, she's lost back-to-back -back fights. You know, you hate to say that, that she's, her back is against the, the wall here, but probably the back is against the wall here if she's unable to get a victory here. But here are talk about the fact that she's expecting Bruna Ellen to try to outpoint her in this matchup. Also at Bellator 284 will be my next guest, and that is Anthony Adams. He'll have his second fight inside Bellator. He is going to be taking on the former title challenger, Austin Vanforce. Uh, here is my conversation with Anthony Adams. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man we're going to see back inside the Bellator cage. Coming up here at Bellator 284, Anthony, man, uh, appreciate time, appreciate time. We're, we're two weeks out from the fight, man, so like, uh, are, are we are we basically approaching Hell Week? Is that what's about to happen here in the next coming week? Uh, Not exactly, you know. Um, next week, I'll probably take a light and more recover. You know, all the hard work's already been done. Um. <clears throat> With that being said, yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. I already had Hell Week. And it's been some time since we've seen you in there. We, you know, you were supposed to fight back in, in May. Unfortunately, that, that fight was unable to take place here. So, like, how do you describe the last 11 months? The last 11 months? Yeah. Um, it's just been a roller coaster. So, uh, 
when I had first made my first appearance for Bellator, I was under the impression that I had a multi-fight contract deal, which that wasn't in the clause. So um, it was hard negotiating anything kind of really in between until the Lorenz fight came. And when the Lorenz fight came, they gave me a four-fight multi-fight deal. Um, But unfortunately, I was going to corner one of my teammates for LFA and tested positive for COVID about two weeks out from the Lorenz fight. So my coaches pulled me. Um, But other than that, you know, it's just the usual. I've just been training, maintaining, and just waiting for my moment. And there was an Instagram post that you had recently where it was a, a photo of you and Carrington Banks, you know, going up against each other there in the room. And you wrote that how Carrington is one of your go-to rounds. You talk about how you're both complete opposites in your approach, in turn exposing each other holes, therefore patching weaknesses. Um, so, so how did kind of the bond between you and Carrington start of realizing that uh, you were both each other's best training partner? I want to say both each other. Um each other's best training partners. You know, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of good bodies with team elevation and pound for pound Muay Thai. Um, but what started with me and Carrington is we both arrived at elevation roughly around the same time. So we were the, we, we were the, we were the new guys. So, um, a lot of times we had to train with each other because everybody, you know, had their go-to's. So that's really how that kid, that's really how that started. Like, is he the one guy in the gym that just kind of like they talk about as an athlete, you got to have that person that just, they know how to push your buttons the right way to get the best out of you. Is that who Carrington is for you? Um, well, Carrington, he's a couple weight classes smaller than me. So it's, it's rare that we actually really, really spar as much as we used to when I was fighting at 170. Um, but he's more of my coach now. Okay. He's, he's, he's going to be in my corner and he's taking a big leadership role in, in the team and he runs a lot of the practices. Um, but yeah, I go, I, you know, Banks is good. He has, he has good control. He, um, has great timing. He knows how to find the, those shots and get in on your hips and, I'm a striker. I want to keep. I want. I, I always want to keep the fight standing and, and technical, and just keep guys at range and um, control the pace. But Banks, he knows. How, he definitely knows how to disrupt that. In terms of this matchup against Austin, do you kind of feel that Austin will uh, not completely engage in a striking matchup, and you're kind of expecting that he he's going to try to force the wrestling? He's going to have to. He have, he's going to have to wrestle me. But, I mean, you can't just wrestle me. Check the, I mean, check, check the track record. Like, you know, he's, what's going to happen? He's going to have to stand up with me. Looking at the teletape of this fight, one of the things that did stick out to me is the fact that you have a two-inch reach advantage. Do, do you view that as something noble in the fight, or do you kind of think that it's something that we put too much uh, too much stock into? You know, if you know how to use it well, it can be, but I always think timing is the most critical thing. 
timing and engaging range and no, and knowing your parameter, you know, cause well, well, once you're in there, I mean, right. I, right, we, we lock, we locked in there. Um, so range height, whatever. I mean, that shit don't mean nothing, but timing and accuracy is everything. In terms of timing, is that something that uh, you had to kind of uh, get a feel for early on in your career, kind of figure out how to how to, to maximize that? Well, I started martial arts in, in, in my youth days, probably when I was seven, eight, eight years old, and I was in Taekwondo and Kempo Karate. And in, in, in point sparring matches, it's all timing because it's just through touch and it's, and it's reset, touch, reset. So I learned that as a young age without even really knowing that that's what I was learning. So when you're obviously a young kid growing up and we all have aspirations of, of what we want to do when we grow up, at what point do, does the thought of being a professional fighter enter your mind? It never really entered my mind until um, I was adult, an adult. Uh, I was working with the guy in the con- concrete tie plant, and him and, his, him and his father, they had a martial arts school and an MMA program, and we were t- – we chopping it up and I told him I um, was a pretty good youth kickboxer and he was like oh yeah I bet you'd be a natural and I was like a natural at what and he said um at jiu-jitsu I didn't even know what jiu-jitsu was at the time and he was just like oh submission grappling you know wrestling and I went and tried it and really it was just like a hobby and um so then I got introduced to some real fighters who were coming down to uh Denver Colorado we were staying up. I was up in, living in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we were training with a team called Team Wildman. And I met the head coach, and he told me he could he could make me a world champ. Um, well, fast forward all that, we here, we here now, and I'm fighting the number two guy, and I'm gunning for that title. Yeah, you know, when when I look at this middleweight division, my first thought is that it can be a very quick rise in, into a title matchup. We'll, we'll see what the you know if they do the immediate rematch of of Evelyn Musasi. You know, is your kind of mindset of like in a way because you're fighting the guy who just fought for the title not too long ago that potentially a win here e- either equals a title shot or then puts you into say a number one contender fight? Yeah, most most definitely. Um, as soon as I got the matchup, I wanted it. You know, when I first fought for Bellator, I, I made another post talking about um, I come to shoot up the rankings. Well, shit, we right here, fast shot, all the way, all the way to the top, and I ain't getting no younger. So let's run this shit. In terms of your nickname, uh, Sugarfoot, where, what's the origin of the nickname? The origin came from one of my old teammates, Alan Washington. One day, uh. We had, like, controlled cage rounds, and they were shark tanks, so, like, the whole team kind of watches, and I was doing my thing, just moving around, and he started chanting, Sugarfoot, Sugarfoot. And then my coach, my coach Thomas, he, my old coach Thomas, he also started chanting, too, and it just kind of started, it just really stuck. Um, I never asked them why, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with my footwork and movement. Yeah. Did, did you like the nickname at first? I did. 
I did because it wasn't self-appointed and it, it was just, it was just suiting. Plus I got like big ass, like, like these weird, these big ass feet that you wouldn't even think that I, I'd be able to move the way I do, but I'm nice on these joints. So as someone who has, has to get pretty big shoes, I'm like a 13, 14. I mean, how, how, how big are the feet? Yeah. 13, 14. Yeah. It, it makes shoe shopping not very fun. Oh, I love shoes. Oh, I do too. But here, here's what, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a Nike guy. What I've okay. learned is I just got to buy it on the app. Yeah. Cause like you go yep. to the store, there's no guarantee they got that size. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and you know what? Online shopping now is the wave because you can get you can get more exclusive things online. And then the thing about going to the store is like you might go get that, but then you might see somebody out and they have it too. So uh, 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 I think online is the is the way to go. So you're trying to find that. You, you so would you describe yourself as a sneakerhead? I would. I mean, like, is, is there like a, a sneaker that uh, is kind of on the bucket list for you to go get? Ooh. You know what? Not right now. You in, in the past, I was I was really honed in on like materialistic things, but really, right now, a lot of that, a lot of that. Even though I still have those possessions, I haven't really been on the radar and looking at those. I've really just been focused on my craft and just being a better version of myself so I can go out and perform to my, uh, to the best of my abilities. You know, on the long haul, uh, all, all, all that shit will come naturally. Right now I'm grinding. I don't even really got it like that, but we're about to. So what, what do you do to get your mind off the fight game when, you know, it's after a long day of training, like you just come home to chill? I mean, or can you not get your mind off the fight? Mm, no, I, uh, you know, when I walk into the gym, I leave everything outside the door. My, my outside life, I leave all that shit outside the door. Nothing matters. So when I'm in there, I'm fully committed to what I'm doing. And then when I leave, it's whatever. I, I leave the gym and all that shit inside the gym. And I come on, I just get to be myself. And final thing for uh, the people that are going to be watching a fight, what well, what would you want them to know about you? I mean, whether it's about your fighting life, your you know your everyday life, what would you want them to know about who you are? Well, there's a lot about me. You know, I'm a uh, uh, I'm a giver. Um, I like I, I like to give a lot more than I receive. Um, and this is just my life. You know, I gave I quit my job almost ten years ago. In, in pursuit of championship goals and gold. And now it's really right here knocking on the door. But for people to know about me, man, like there's a lot more than just, just a fighter. I'm super charismatic. Um, I have character. I got the look. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this, is, it's, this, this is the whole package deal. It's feats. And that was my conversation with Anthony Adams. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day. Talk to me about his matchup. Come up here against Austin Vanford, Bellator 284. I will tell you on next Sunday's edition of the podcast, I am scheduled to have three other Bellator interviews. 
uh, Neiman Gracie, Josh Hill, Jordan Newman, all scheduled to be on the podcast next week. Already got those interviews lined up. Those uh, I'm actually recording those interviews over here over the next couple of days. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, very interested to talk to Neiman Gracie. Of course, he's going to be headlining this Bellator card against Gochi Yamauchi. And uh, that's kind of like, it's one of those things that I would love to see kind of that fight hit the map. Both of them obviously known for their jiu-jitsu so uh, of course uh, those interviews come next week let's get into the final interview here on this edition of the podcast and that's going to be with Elmar Umarov as he is going to be taking on Lucas Barbosa here on Friday at the PFL event Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that you're going to see inside the PFL here, August the 5th. Elmar, uh, appreciate time here on, uh, we're talking here on a Friday afternoon. So, so what does a Friday afternoon look like for you? Um, Nothing special, bro. Probably the same as yours. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I get up, I work from my house, so I do dispatching for semi-trucks. Take care of that for a few hours. Been around two, I'll hit to the gym. I'll be there from two to six. Then I'll probably run six miles at night. That's pretty much it. I mean, are, are we talking about this has pretty much been the been the life for uh, the last uh, decade or so? Yeah, last fifteen years, man. This is literally my last fifteen years. I've been having like, like it's like Groundhog Day. You know, it's like every day it's the same for me. Every day for the last 15 years, and I'm not over exaggerating. This, this is true. You can, this, this is very true. You know, what drew you to martial arts? What was that? What drew you to martial arts? What drew me in? Um, so back in Russia, my dad used to, uh, we used to go to my grandpa's house, and they were big fans of uh, Mike Tyson, okay, like Mike Tyson, uh, Vitaly Klitschko, Costa, too, if you remember him. And I was like, man, this is really cool stuff, you know. And then somehow we ended up watching uh, Phil Baroni and Dave Minage, like UFC 36 or something. And right there, then I was like, yep, this is what I've been, this is what I'm talking about. Ever since then, I just, you know, joined the gym and start fighting professionally. So how do you, how does a kid from Russia end up in St. Charles, Missouri? So, um, I was, we were born in Russia, but by nationality, we're Turkish. We were Muslim. And in 2005, uh, there was like a civil war going on over there, some BS, you know, whatever. And that time, the U.S. was accepting refugees, and they accepted like a few hundred of Turkish people from Russia, and we were just one of them. And we ended up moving to boys. We ended up... Uh, landing in Boise, Idaho and living there for about shoot like 10 years, 12 years and then we moved here to St. Louis, Missouri in 2016 just to be closer with family you know like do you like I mean obviously when you made that move you were very young in your life I mean yeah, do, do I you was. like do you remember like oh, gro- yeah. like do you like yeah. can you think about like the cultural differences between being here in the United States as opposed to being over in Russia yeah, so I moved here when I was like eight or nine, and we got to the States, and my dad actually is like, no way, we're moving back, no way, because they put us in like small apartments in, in Boise, you know, and with a bunch of other refugees, and I was, we, that's not all we expected, you know, we really yeah. expected like fucking 
mansions, you know, in Los Angeles, you know. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, time went by. And my wife, there's a big cultural shock, though, man. It's, it's like, it's like two different things. But at the end of the day, you know, people are people. That's pretty much it. Now, of course, before this PFL fight was booked, you were actually supposed to be on the FAC show. So kind of how did all this kind of work out of where you had the FAC fight and now you're on the PFL show? Yeah, I was supposed to fight this kid out of glory uh, on James Charles' show. And like th- this guy, I was shocked that he signed a contract because it's because I asked to fight him before and they declined, declined. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it's going to happen. And like the, the, the date came closer and closer, you know, I'm like, oh shit, he's actually going <laughs> to, we're actually going to fight. This is going to happen. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And then sure enough, he pulled out for whatever reason. I don't know. And I was like, well, I told my manager, I said, can you guys just give me something like anything? <laughs> Said, all right, we'll see. We got the PFL fight. PFL came through. And, and the PFL matchup here is against Lucas Barosa, who. Anyone who doesn't know, BJJ World Champion. So when you're taking on somebody that is so highly credentialed as he is, how do you prepare for that? I, I mean, of course we're gonna. We're gonna be very careful with the jujitsu on the ground and scrambles and whatnot. But I'm surrounded by freaking crazy grapplers, man. Like our gym is known to have some of the best grapplers in the states. I mean, you know that T-shirt that Habib wore? Uh, if some, if sambo, or if jujitsu was easy, it becomes sambo or some shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my mentality. That's that's how I look at it. Uh, I have to be careful. I have to be careful. You know, so so does he, bro. I don't. I don't fuck around on the on the ground too. I can't. You see, Anthony Hernandez and Rodolfo Vieira. Anthony subbed him. I watched that fight yesterday. I was like, okay, all right. But yeah, like he's only had three uh, professional mixed martial arts fights. Like, so like, how how do you? when you're taking on somebody who doesn't have that much experience in MMA, like it, it, do you kind of, do you kind of view it in a way of thinking, okay, he's only had three fights, but I know he's been in the gym. So there's probably going to be some wrinkles in this game. Exactly. Um, his last fight was 10 years ago. He's two and one. And I believe that loss he had was a decision loss. I mean, he could be five and all, he could be whatever. And I wasn't, I think the fight anyways, but yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, of course, this is not jujitsu, you know, but he, I don't know. This is this is gonna be a hard fight for him. I think PFL just thinks he's gonna he's gonna just run over me. And, but I'm, I'm coming into I'm coming in to spoil some parties, you know. Is that part of the motivation? Oh yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Um, I feel this has been a long journey for me, man. Like I've been at this for a while, you know, I'll be 27 here in a few weeks. I I have to do something, you know, like I have to, this, this is my chance. If I don't do it now, then I never do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's how I, I like to look at it. I don't, I don't, I don't like to be like, well, you know, failure, we lost and we learned. That's, that's fucking bullshit, bro. 
you lose and you learn. People say that, you know. But I have to make it happen, man. I have to make it happen. Somehow or another, I have to make it happen. And it will happen for sure. I, I believe in myself for 100%. If I didn't, I wouldn't have signed the contract. I was listening to an interview you did and you were kind of, you were talking a little bit about your style. You know, you said wrestle, throw bombs. Is that kind of, for people who've never watched you fight, is that about the best way to describe your fighting style? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and I mean, it just depends what the other guy does. So, so I like to kick, you know, I like to do a little bit of everything, but uh, yeah, I love, I love to wrestle. Maybe I can shoot on this guy and see how his takedown defense is, you know? Is that part also one of the things of like you, you go in this fight saying, okay, he doesn't think I'm going to take him to the ground. I might be there. There, it kind of, it can be that element of surprise where like almost like you do something and maybe he doesn't react quick enough, and, and that can also be yeah. the 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 fight ending sequence for you. Yeah, for one hundred percent, and also it can be vice versa. He can also come out and strike with me, and I'm here trying to defend shots and biting on his fakes. So I'm aware of that too, but for 100%, 100%. In terms of, uh, for, for fans to kind of get to know who you are just, just as a man, like, uh, you know, you're, you're rolling to the gym tonight. They, they tell you, you got control of the music. What, what's going on the speakers? Um, man, to be honest, I don't really listen to music. Um, not, not really into music stuff, but Jim, I just go with the guys. But for me personally, I love to listen to podcasts. But that's pretty much it. Is that what you do to kind of get your kind of uh, you know? They always talk about the, those things you you do to get your mind off the fight game. Is that what you do to kind of get your mind off it? Uh, yeah, I'll do that, and I'd like to watch some documentaries and stuff, you know. But yeah, I would just listen to a bunch of podcasts. Man, my family is sick of me walking around with freaking headphones on <laughs> you know they're like what are you freaking doing man we'll be talking to you for three hours you just fucking zoomed in zoomed out but, yeah is it is it tough for you to turn off the fight mindset in you and like i mean i, I mean obviously we're, we're a couple weeks away from this fight of like it, it it's you know 11 o'clock at night you're just kind of sitting on the couch and that the fight just can't get off your brain I don't have a switch, man. It's like, it's always on. And I, I try not to think about it, but I always go back to it. I always go back to it. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna relax my brain for a sec. And I'm like, thinking about the fight. I'm like, God damn, bro, this is not the rule of my life. Like I have to, and I've accepted that. So it makes it easier, you know, on the, on the head. If you were a fighter, what do you think you'd be doing? If I wasn't? Yeah. Um... Uh, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, I hated school. I know that. I had probably played soccer or something. I, I was very good at soccer. Not coming from Russia, probably I would have done something with soccer. But I don't know about sitting in the office or fixing a tire. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I think we can all we can all get that. We look forward to seeing the fight here, PFL, August the fifth. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, uh, let me know they can follow you on social media and anything else. We'll mention, man. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Uh, you guys can follow me on Facebook, uh, on Instagram at Elmar Umarov one seven zero. That's it. Appreciate you having me on, man. And that was my conversation with Elmar Umarov. He'll be taking on Lucas Barbosa here on Friday at that PFL event. Of course, so this is the PFL Championships 
PFL number seven here on this year. Of course, this card uh, going to be headlined by Anthony Pettis and Stevie Ray. The rematch there, of course, uh, Stevie Ray getting the win there uh, during the regular season. Of course, the winners of these matchups will advance on to the finals. So this will be the lightweight and light heavyweights. So the other lightweight matchup is you got Olivier Aubin-Mercier taking on Alex Martinez. And then, of course, the two semifinals in the light heavyweight tournament. You got Rob Wilkinson taking on Dellen Monte and Omar Akhmedov taking on Josh Silveria. And then, of course, uh, your, your preliminary cars, all guys that are looking to to make their claim, to, to make their way, potentially get in there. And, and like what Elmar said there, he said, this is my chance. I have to make it happen. So huge opportunity for him. Of course, uh, Lucas Barrosa is a guy that uh jiu-jitsu no jiu-jitsu world champion and so uh you gotta imagine if, if you're umar off you're gonna probably try to stay away there uh from playing a little bit of jiu-jitsu there but uh looking forward to seeing that bellator or excuse me that that pfl event coming up here on friday uh, of course that the bellator fight card that uh, fighters we had on earlier on the show of course, that's uh, going to be headlined by Neiman Gracie and Gochi Amauchi. Uh, also, that fight card, you got a, a interesting heavyweight matchup between Valentina Moldovsky and Steve Mallory, uh, part of that fight card. And, of course, uh, also Sullivan Colley, guy we've had on the show uh, plenty of times before. He's going to be on that card as well. Always, uh, it's, uh, Sullivan's a guy I've always uh, get on the show here. Hopefully, try to get him here on the show uh, before that matchup just does take place but do want to thank everyone who came on the show uh for this episode jay perron tyson am alima lay mcfarlane anthony adams and elmar umarov of course uh, the next episode of the podcast will come out on wednesday probably uh probably sometime uh wednesday evening uh it's myself and daniel we're going to take a look back at what happened at ufc 2 77 also will get you ready for this week's upcoming mma of course we got ufc vegas 59 coming up on saturday and of course that pfl event so we'll get you ready for that of course as always appreciate you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast of course uh rate review does does help it out a ton so appreciate you tuning in and that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the mma report podcast which comes out two times a week on wednesdays it's myself and daniel galvan talk about everything going on in the world of mma and here on sundays it's the interview edition